Hello and welcome to another episode of the Reboot Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Jordan Zerm. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at Cleve Zerm, where I am strictly tweeting out videos of Lil Nas X performing Old Town Road. So that will be all that that account is doing from now until uh, the rest of time. So uh, I know it's an abrupt change, but I hope that you guys can support me through this difficult time. I am very happy to have ESPN's Brian Winhorst on the podcast today as we are doing two weeks in a row of Cavs-themed rebuild podcasts, but a lot of Cavs stuff happening and and no Brown stuff happening. So it felt only right to try and get one of the, I think, best and most knowledgeable people in terms of just what's going on with every team in the NBA uh, in Brian. And I go really far back with Brian. I actually shadowed him when I was in high school. He let me shadow him uh, to cover Cavs games for like two weeks. Uh, and he's that that's an experience I'll never, ever forget. It stuck with me for a really long time. And he's been really kind to me ever since. So uh, always really happy when he takes some time out to, to talk with me about the industry or whatever it is. But it's even better when he can hop on for a half hour and talk about the Cavs. So we touched on a lot of different stuff. Obviously, we touched on the Cavs draft. He has some... Some intel about, more intel about Darius Garland, how they got to a point where they wanted to draft him, some potential scenarios they were looking at in the draft in terms of trading up and acquiring other picks that eventually didn't happen. Um, So that was uh, really fun. He knew more about Dylan Windler than I expected he would, so we had a nice little Dylan Windler conversation. Um, We obviously touched on Kevin Love and his... His status and if the Cavs are actively looking to trade him and and how long he might be on this roster. So we touched on that. And then we did a little reflection on Kyrie Irving's time in Cleveland as he approaches free agency for the first time in his career, really, aside from when he signed that contract extension with the Cavs right before LeBron James came back. So a lot of stuff that we hit on, really fun conversation. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and rate uh, wherever you get your podcast, please tell a friend to tell his uncle to tell their grandmother who may not know how to work Spotify or iTunes or any podcast app, but just please try with her and be patient because old people are people too. And uh, yeah, without further ado, my chat about the Cavs draft and much more with ESPN's Brian Winhorst. Um, all right, I'm very excited to welcome in uh, ESPN's Brian Winhorst uh, to the podcast. Brian, it's been a little while since we've been able to do a pod together, so uh, I'm excited, and uh, thank you for taking a little bit of time as we approach free agency to uh, to hop on with me, man. No problem, man. I always enjoy it. Um, it's very difficult for me to um, to even frame time in my head. I, <laughs> it, it, this time of year... Like, I'm like, yeah, that happened last week. And someone will be like, yeah, that was actually six weeks ago. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, this is the time of year where it gets just a little hectic. I mean, it's fine. It's it's totally fine. It's good for the league. It's good for business. But um, for those of us who immediately have to go from the playoffs to the draft to free agency to summer league, is a um, it's a, it's one long, giant flow of um information so yeah it's fun it's fun but difficult yeah how many um how many mornings do you wake up and have to take a second before you're like what day is it and like what do i have to do today like what month is it like like, is that kind of going on the days of the week definitely go by the wayside you know the finals when you think about the finals um where the intensity is so high yeah 
Um, it's really the travel. People make a big deal about the travel. It's not. I mean, the average NBA team plays four games a week, two at home and two on the road. I mean, grand, you're going to have some weeks where you have a four game road trip and some weeks where you have a four game home stand. But um, the the actual games played are not that not that much. But the the demands on time, even for the players between the games, are what makes everything so demanding. So. Um, and then the fact that you're doing, you know, cross country trips back and forth, back and forth. So in the, in the event of the, you know, the Toronto series, um, it was in Toronto, out to California, back to Toronto, you know, back to California um, over the course of two weeks. And that's a lot. That's a lot of, um, of travel. And, you know, I always remember the 2016 finals. You know, I started in Cleveland, obviously. So it was Cleveland, San Francisco, San Francisco. Cleveland, Cleveland, San Francisco, San Francisco, Cleveland, Cleveland, San Francisco, and then back for the parade, San Francisco, Cleveland. That was, you know, I don't know, like eight cross country trips in the course yeah. of like 15 days. And I guess if you're, if you're, um, you know, if you're a flight attendant or you're a pilot and you're like, yeah, well, I go to Shanghai three times uh, a week. I'm like, well, I guess I can't compare to that. But um, it is a lot for a lot for for a lot of us. Yeah. And um, was it more difficult? Like with the, did you have to like go through customs every time in Toronto or was there did you guys have a system where like because you were going to be there a couple times within the span of two weeks? Like how, what was what did that make it harder? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's going through customs. It's going through customs. You yeah. know, you do have, you do have, you know, if you're a member of certain things, you can cut the line a little bit. But um, no, the the best was um, in 2000. I can't, one of the years where the the year that the Cavs played the Raptors in the conference finals, yeah. um, which I think was 2016. I believe was, so. Yep. That was a LeBron. Um, I've been in a lot of adverse situations and this isn't one of them. Yeah. Were um, they right? They lost those two. They won the first two in Cleveland. Then they immediately lost two in Toronto. Right. And there was one of the, that's like one of the, that's like the highest level smack I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> it's not gonna like make it onto a poster, but it was like psychological smack. Yes. Um, so ESPN uh, was televised in those conference finals. So there was a lot of us traveling. And, you know, I don't know how much your listeners know about air travel between Toronto and, and, uh, and Cleveland. There's just there's not that many flights and they're, they're flown on very small, um, very small planes. And so we couldn't get, um, you know, we couldn't get enough seats on those planes the 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 planes had like 30 seats on them or something 40 seats and we needed to move like 50 or 70 people so they had buses that they hired um that would transport all the espn people from cleveland to toronto and uh, the bus that i was on uh we got we got um pulled over for screening and customs and we all got oh my god um we all got put in this is at buffalo um this is going into canada at buffalo and we all got put in a um in a holding area and they took all of our passports. They went through everything and, um, they didn't, you know, they're, they're Canadians. There's some ESPN is on in Canada, but not everything. And they clearly didn't have first take, or at least the folks there didn't know, didn't care about first take because they had no idea who Stephen A was. <laughs> and, um, I just remember that when the, when he, when it came time to question him, the, uh, the, 
the customs agent pulled out his passport and said, Steve Smith, report to me. Steve Smith. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, yeah, that was a fun day. That's great. Uh, the the image of um, in my mind of just Stephen A. sort of just like pacing back and forth uh, around the, the screening area at the, the border of <laughs> Buffalo and Canada is a really, really great one. So I'm going to treasure <laughs> it, that. It, it happened. Trust me. It <laughs> happened. Um, so, yeah, I mean... You know, with the with the draft kind of going off uh, last week, and um, I, I was kind of interested. You know, you and I had texted a little bit, and obviously, you know, you're um, spending time at the finals and, and much more kind of league oriented, um, not as kind of into the NBA draft or, or paying a, as much attention to kind of college hoops. And I'm very much the same way. Um, you know, obviously, everybody knows Zion and RJ, and even maybe Cam Reddish a little bit, and some of the you know John Morant. I think. By by the time the draft got here, I think a lot of people were familiar with him. But the Cavs not only took somebody that um, you know, I don't think a lot of people are watching Vanderbilt basketball to begin with. Um, even the most ardent college basketball fans, but you know, he just he played what was it four games, five games, um, and you know, so they took a guy that all of those things combined, there just wasn't a lot of knowledge about him, and I. Um, I, I was at the, excuse me, it is now Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. I have to remind myself to say that every time I talk about it. But um, I was there on draft night and, you know, Kobe talked to us and he was saying, one of the biggest things he mentioned was just how blown away they were by his workout in Los Angeles that sort of trickled out into, and I think I was actually listening to one of the uh, one of the more recent episodes of the Hoop Collective where you mentioned that there were some kind of these secret workouts happening with Darius Garland, and, and I think some of them eventually sort of trickled out, and the Cavs were obviously had a big contingent there. Do you, I mean, not, not so much about just like Darius as a player, but um, did, did you hear things about the Cavs sort of interest in him, and then when they were kind of out there for L.A., it was just really kind of striking how Kobe, he really talked about that workout, and he sort of lit up, and he was saying he was flicking 30-footers like they were nothing. He just really seemed enamored by by that workout. Well, the first, the thing was um, Kobe went out to L.A. to see Bull Bull's workout. Okay. Um, and at the time we believe that the Cavs were involved in talks in a three-way tr- three um, conversation to acquire the number four pick when uh, New Orleans um, when New Orleans was making the initial talks with, uh, with um, uh, the Lakers. So we were aware that, that Kobe was in L.A. The excuse that we were given was, no, no, he's not in L.A. to see Darius Garland. He's in L.A. to see Bull Bull, which was true. He did go to Bull Bull's workout, but while he was there, he also went to see Darius Garland. Um, so we knew that workout had taken place. Uh, by the way, it would have been the Cavs getting the number four pick without trading number five. So they would have, they were, you know, oh, okay. look, look, there, there's, and I want to be clear, there's a thousand different conversations. For sure. So don't, please do not overreact to that. But <laughs> um, so there was... Uh, I thought that maybe the Cavs would acquire the number four pick in addition to five and that and that they would look into Garland because he would be the other guy maybe that they would take there. You know, they would take Hunter and Garland at four and five. Or I think they also knew that there was a possibility. You know, they knew that everybody in the league knew that Atlanta wanted Hunter and Atlanta was making offers to the Cavs. Um, They were offering the eight and ten to move up to number five. And they'd offered eight and ten to move up to number four. Actually, they ended up uh, trading eight and um, seventeen to move up to number four. But right. they also threw in the other. They also threw in two other picks. But um, so the Cavs had. 
know, the Cavs do, there's a possibility that Atlanta may get in front of them because I do think that they liked Hunter a lot too. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I will say this. I, I'm not so sure that it, that the Cavs should be broadcasting that they were excited about a one-on-oh workout. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know the uh, famous story of the chairman? I um, well, is it with? Um, you can certainly tell it. I think I may be familiar with what you're talking about. Well, if you know the story, I'm not going to tell it. <laughs> well, is it with E? Uh, I'm not going to be able to. I always forget how to pronounce e. G- it. Yes, e. Gian Leon. where uh, he <laughs> he went one on one against a chair, and um, who who ended up drafting him because of that? The Bucks ended up drafting yes. him, but you know, so I mean, it worked out because. You know, he was Chinese and the chairman, you know, chairman yeah. Mao type thing. <laughs> um, but by the way, I, I mean, the, the story is famous because it's Yi. Right. But um, this has happened for many players over the over the decades. And by the way, I'll bet Michael Jordan would have looked pretty damn good in a one on a workout, too. I don't want to I don't want to criticize uh, the, the the importance of workouts or whatever. I'm just saying that a guy shooting well in an empty gym is not going to get me excited no you're right um, you know the thing that makes me laugh every year um it's with <laughs> and no shade to carmelo anthony but you know like especially since in later in his career where you know he's kind of floating between teams and right now he doesn't have a team and you know he goes and works out with that uh that chris brickley in in new york and he's <laughs> and all these outlets are like wow carmelo still got it and it's just him in a gym with nobody just shooting it's like well yeah of course it all it happens every year and it makes me laugh really hard Right. Um, you know, but listen, if you're a Carmelo fan, you want to believe in him. That's fine. That, that's but, you know, true. From an evaluation standpoint, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, so, but I will say this, you know, Garland absolutely can shoot. I mean, uh, you know, I didn't, I've never seen him play in person, to be honest with you. I never, I didn't catch any of those Vanderbilt games. Um, uh, and, uh, but, you know, the people that I have, that have seen him in person, I've talked to, uh, Mike Schmitz is a guy that I hugely respect. He's one of our draft analysts. Yeah. And he spends the entire year watching uh prospects and is as young as 14 years old and he's in africa right now uh working with african players um in uganda i believe and you know i'll call him and i'll you know i don't if you ever called somebody who's overseas you can tell immediately what when the phone rings that they're overseas and uh it'll ring and he'll answer and i'll go where are you and he'll be like oh i'm in i'm watching a second division france game in uh in nice or you know oh i'm watching a german league game in uh you know cologne or something like that so he he really works his butt off year round he is not just sit there and watch college tapes and break it down he is out he is you know going and watching these guys when they're playing uh the you know 16 and under in argentina in the national in the world cup you know under 16 event and he's super duper high on Garland, loves him, thinks he's got a chance to be a star. So to me, um, and, you know, look, nobody bats a thousand. Um, but to me, that endorsement from Mike Schmitz, who's watched him for years, means a lot more than uh, a one on zero workout uh, where he hit a couple of 30 footers with yeah. no offense to Kobe or the Cavs or anything. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I, uh, I very much get that. And, yeah, I, uh, you know, Mike was a guy that. Um, I see, you know, I went right to his, his video series on YouTube is, is great too. Those kind of 10, 15 minute clips he puts together of all the prospects and their strengths and weaknesses. All right, let's take a little break from talking calves with Brian to talk about a couple of our sponsors here at Blue Wire. Guys are really bad at taking care of their health. I am bad. It's been 30 years since I've seen a doctor. It's outrageous. And whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable, quote, rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. 
I was having some back, like sciatic nerve, sciatic nerve stuff going on a couple years ago, and I was just like, I'm just gonna sit down until it goes away, and it did. So I'm doing great. Uh, the same is also true for erectile dysfunction, you guys. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED do not get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. So with Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner because I know sometimes this stuff can be a little taboo and embarrassing to talk about. But getting started is really simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that we can deliver in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. So guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get it checked out. And with Roman, it's easy to connect with a doctor. So just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Again, that's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash blue wire and you know we've been talking about harry's for a long time and we're still teaming up with them to make sure our listeners at blue wire are shaving comfortably so you can go to harrys.com slash blue wire right now to save ten dollars on a value trial set which includes the following a five blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover you can get all of that for just three dollars shipped right to your door so enough with the terrible cheap razors that are just making your face look horrible and feel awful it's totally worth trying harry's because harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned, so they bought a world-class blade factory in germany it's been making quality blades for over 95 years Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer right now by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. So if you don't love your shave, you can let them know and they will give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just $3 today. All right, let's get back into our Cavs conversation with ESPN's Brian Winhorst. You know, when they took Darius Garland, obviously a lot of everybody's kind of concern was, okay, well, you know, Colin Sexton is still here. They both are not, um, (laughs) they're not pass happy point guards. Uh, They're both kind of score first mentality. And what's that fit going to look like? And I, I was sort of, I've been of the mindset of, if you think Darius Garland's talent um, is that good? And he was just kind of there for you at five, then you, then you take him and you worry about him later. I guess I'm a little more interested in, you know, it, it was really fascinating to watch Sexton's second half of the season. Um, you know, he, he became a 40%-plus shooter from three. He stopped taking a lot of those god-awful mid-range jumpers that he was that he was taking early on in the season and a lot of what he did at Alabama. Um, he really improved a lot of stuff, but there's still— I don't know what his ceiling is, and I don't know if what we saw towards the end of last year is just sort of like maybe the best player he can be, where he's only going to average a couple assists. Um, his assist rate obviously isn't going to be very high. And then, uh, so I, I've sort of always wondered of how the Cavs view Colin Sexton. I mean, I, I guess, you know, they drafted this regime, drafted him. I'm sure they want to give him obviously every chance to succeed. But I, I also just wondered now with Darius Garland and if his talent is sort of what they think it is. Um, 
just how do you, just from what you've heard or what you know, Brian, do you know how the Cavs are sort of looking at Colin Sexton? And um, did they, did they, I know Kobe talked about it at the presser, how Colin was all excited and he was watching tape of Portland when he knew that the Cavs were interested in Garland because, you know, they can be CJ and Dame and all that stuff. But um, you never know if that's just sort of the Cavs presenting a unified front. So, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Kobe, I think was, working for the Cavs in a lower level position when they had to make the decision on uh, Damian Lillard. Oh, sure. And, um, you know, um, th- th- I, this is not the first person who's made this discussion. Uh, you know, this has been written about in the, in the Cleveland media. You know, but they passed on Lillard because he was another small guard who had similar similar um, stats, as, uh, similar game to Kyrie. And they were just like, well, we can't crowd these guys here. And uh, so they took Deion. I'm fairly certain they took Deion Waiters instead. Um, even though Dion didn't have great size, one like he's six eight, um, because they felt like uh, that was a better backcourt mate. They felt they were more worried about the fit than the talent. And um, here they basically said we're going to go with the talent over the fit, and yeah. we'll worry about we'll worry about the uh, the fit later. And um, you know, there's a you know you could go talk to to fifteen different GMs that give you fifteen different philosophies here. But with where the Cavs are in their rebuild, um, um. I feel like that that philosophy probably makes more sense, um, and they'll deal with it if it doesn't fit. You know, I think one of the things that I would give them high marks on is, look, shooting is super important out there. You either have shooting or you're trying to get shooting, unless you're the Lakers. Um, <laughs> uh, and the you know they you know the one thing i like about colin other than the fact that he improved really from the start to the finish that's really important for rookies um was that he shot 40 percent. i mean that's steph curry didn't shoot 40 percent. as i don't know maybe he did but um there's a lot of great three-point shooters who didn't shoot 40 percent from three-point range as a rookie um it's uh you know so i love the fact that he became a more reliable three-point shooter and they drafted the first two guys they drafted are great shooters i yeah. mean um dylan windler i don't know much about dylan windler um but clearly he's an outstanding shooter one of the best shooters in the draft and um the thing the thing about windler that is uh you know kind of interesting both windler and um kevin porter um both of those guys shoot the ball better off the move than they do catch and shoot. Mm-hmm. So they drafted a couple of guys who, who, who like to move without the ball and don't just stand in the corner. So don't think that Windler is just going to be Daniel Gibson. Um, the thing about Windler, by the way, and again, I don't know much about him at all, you know, other than he was a four-year player. Um, Windler averaged 11 rebounds a game this last year. Yeah. Uh, Kobe said the game that he went to, uh, that he, one of the games he saw Windler in person, was uh, he had a 20-rebound game for Belmont. And, I mean, you know, who knows who they were playing, but still, for, that, for, the, for a three-point shooter, essentially, to be uh, grabbing 20 boards in a game, is, uh, it, it definitely stands out. Yeah, he's not going to average 11 rebounds a game in, in the NBA, obviously, but he, if he has a rebounding mindset, it can really help you. And the other thing about it is, you know, when you're when you're like a you know obviously he's the best player in that conference right he is a first round draft pick um, everybody is gonna you know he he played there for four years every every player at every school in the Ohio Valley Conference knew about Dylan Windler and they knew when he was coming in they had to stop him I can just tell you from years being in the MAC when there was a great player in the MAC you know everybody was aware of what he was doing every night right so every defense within the um, within the uh, Ohio Valley Conference was set to stop him 
That's why he had to move so hard without the ball. He couldn't just stand there. They weren't going to let him open. And yet he still averaged 21 points a game. Um, and he only took 13 shots a game. You know, you look at R.J. Barrett. Now, R.J. Barrett obviously is a super-duper talented guy. He's not in the same – he's not in the same um, – in the same league as is is Windler, of course, but he took 19 shots a game to average about the same amount of points. Um, but but the difference is R.J. Barrett's going to be expected to be a star. Windler is going to be a role player from day one. Sure. So um, you know, so but, but to me, more than whether he makes it or not, I mean, I can go back and we could talk about how excited the Cavs were about drafting Sergey Karasev. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's probably a, a better than 50-50 chance that Windler is going to be a bust, but I can see that the Cavs have a plan here. Um, they're drafting guys who can, who don't, who aren't just standstill shooters, who are good shooters, you know, off the bounce or, or you know, moving to get open. Um, and obviously, with Darius, they took the most talented player. So, um, to me, everything, the, the, the entire Cavs' future is based on how well they do in the draft. I mean, you know, and and. I think Sexton was okay. I mean, he was uh, appropriately drafted. Um, if there was a redraft, he may have gone like sixth or seventh, yeah, as opposed to eighth. I mean, um, I think they did a good did a good job. They didn't. I don't think they they found the next Giannis, but um, you know they uh, you know they did a good job in that in that draft. And now they've taken three guys in this draft. And you know, if one of them turns out to be a really good player, they'll have done well. If two of them turn out to be you know, good contributors out of the three, they'll have done well. And this is how they're going to have to build. This is what they're going to have to do. Like you look at a, a team like Atlanta. I think Atlanta is a real good comparison. They're kind of maybe a year ahead of the Cavs because they've kind of had three drafts. But, you know, they got John Collins, who I think is a really good player. Yeah. Um, could be maybe your, your third best player for on a, on a championship contender. They got Trey Young last year, who has a chance to be an all-star. And, um, you know, this year they got, two top they maneuvered and got two top 10 picks including two guys they like and and that's what the Cavs need to do a year from now they need to say okay we have you know we have two and a half players and you know, even last year they got Kevin Herter now Kevin Herter is not gonna you know he's not gonna sell tickets you're not gonna put him on the side of your building and say come see Kevin Herter but it was a good draft pick and that's where the Cavs are gonna have to be built they're, they're they're not gonna be built through free agency you know maybe at some point if you if things fall into place maybe you can make a trade um, for a star player, but um, they're going to have to just start making contact on some of these draft picks, and and that's the process that they're in right now. Yeah, and the thing I'm really intrigued by Kevin Porter Jr. because I think uh, you talk about them sort of having this plan, and um, I, I agree with you, and I think that um, you know you look at Kevin Porter Jr. who is like you said he moves off the ball well. He also you know he has really much like Darius Garland he has great handles it looks like already where he can at least you know create space for his own shot too. He obviously a lot of people um, you know talk about his step back which um, is pretty is pretty good from what I've seen like he has developed a pretty legitimate step back jumper. So um, and I wonder if the Cavs sort of looked at him as. Not you know this would be absolute best case scenario and this is probably far too optimistic. But if he's a type of guy that is eventually going to give you, and you hope production of somebody maybe not to the level of R.J. Barrett, but like a guy that you know has a similar skill set to R.J. Barrett. They're both lefties. They're both guys that can kind of create their own shot and get to the hoop. But obviously Kevin Porter Jr. did not have anywhere near the season that R.J. did. But if the Cavs think he has that ability in there somewhere and they can try to cultivate it over these next couple seasons, then I absolutely see. We'll take Garland here, 
you know, we'll take Windler, a shooter who can, we can move all over the court and have him run off screens and all of that stuff. And then, you know, Kevin Porter feels like the big wild card to me in terms of if he has the type of talent that people thought he did when he came into USC. Um, I'm just, I'm very fascinated by the Kevin Porter pick and I'm going to be very fascinated by like what type of player he turns into. Yeah. I don't know much about him to be honest with you. I wish I could say, oh, yeah, yeah, I watched uh, three hours of tape on him. I attended six USC games. <laughs> I have an incomplete dossier, and I'm prepared to declare him the next Larry Bird. Yeah, no, uh, everybody was know. like, um, you know, everybody was like, where's Brian? Why isn't he on um, the jump today? And they were like, oh, he's, you know, he's been at USC for, for weeks. We can't get in touch with him. He's been watching Kevin Porter. Right, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I was at the Knicks uh, facility where it was completely like crickets. They, they knew they were taking R.J. Barrett weeks yeah. ahead of time. Um, nothing happened. They took R.J. Barrett. They were very happy. I was very happy to not have much to do. So, um, you know, they made a calculated gamble. They really wanted him, though, because they gave four four second round picks, although one of them is one of those bogus top 55 protected picks. But <clears throat> still three second round picks and five million bucks. Yeah. So um, they really wanted him. Um, uh, we'll see. I mean, um, again, I remember when the Cavs drafted Christian Ianga at, at 30 and uh, I got told how high upside he had. Oh, Christian Ianga. That's yeah. a that's a that's yeah. a memorable name. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. No, we will see. But uh, I do. I'm at least um, like you said. I think they at least had a, a plan. They had characteristics of players that I think fit the modern NBA that they kind of went for, and uh, that is appreciated. I think as opposed to what things they've done in the past. Um, I wanted to ask. I know you've been asked this a lot, and there probably isn't a, a ton of update. I'm, but it's funny because you know Channing Fry sort of put Twitter into a bit of a frenzy when he tweeted the other day about, wouldn't it be cool if Kevin Love ended up in Portland? And everybody was like, what do you know, Channing? And, um, but you know, was it yesterday or the day before, um, the Hawks made that trade where they basically swapped Evan Turner and Ken, uh, Kent Bazemore. And, you know, I think a lot of people were saying, well, if there was a path to a deal with Portland, you would feel like Portland would want the Cavs to kind of take on Evan Turner's contract with, you know, along with whatever else they would request in a trade with Kevin Love. So who knows if that's even a possibility? I, I do you, the Kevin Love situation is very fascinating to me as well, and it will become more fascinating as the season goes on if he is on the roster when the season starts and the trade deadline approaches. I just wonder if he, for as well and for as positive he's, as he's been throughout last season and, and the offseason and all of that, I wonder how much he really wants to be playing on, on this team. I, I have no idea. I, and I'm wondering with you, is there, I know you've mentioned, I think I saw you on ESPN Cleveland saying that, um, you know, nothing super imminent and his contract is hard and it's hard to maybe find the exact value that would, the Cavs would say, okay, we'll take that back for him. Where are they sort of at with Kevin at the moment? I think it's one thing that's it's sort of like a, a rolling conversation. Sure. I don't I don't think they would um, I think if somebody called to talk to them about Kevin Love, they would take the call and have a conversation. But I don't think they're saying here saying we have to trade Kevin. Um, I think Kevin is open to being traded, but I don't think it's like trade me now or I'm not reporting to camp. Yep. You know, um, I think he's invested in, in his role that he has on the team. Uh, I think, you know, two things you look at. One, um, there's more uh, dancers than there are musical than there are chairs. So when the music stops, um, when the free agency sort of settles, probably in about ten, seven to ten days, there's going to be some teams out there that were not able to get um, the kind of free agents they wanted and uh, are willing to look at other alternatives to add a significant player. And I think at that time, there may be some interest in Kevin and the Cavs may take some calls and say, hey, let's see what we can do here. Oh, we don't like that deal. We're not going to do it. You know, they don't feel a pressure to trade him. 
Um, do I think Kevin Love is going to be the long-term future of the team? Probably not. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, I don't think there's any huge stress on it. Um, you know, then again, we'll see how he plays in the regular season and maybe you get towards the trade deadline. And, you know, the thing about it is the team that would trade for him, it's $120 million. Right. Now, here's what the Cavs would tell you. And this is not necessarily for trade value. This is the way they look at it. Let's say the Cavs had $30 million in cap space right now. They probably couldn't sign a player the quality of Kevin Love. Um, and if you go out there and look on the market, they would say to other teams, you can't, uh, you couldn't spend $120 million and get a player like Kevin Love right now either. So this would be a good contract to take on. Now, whether every team feels that way, whether Love actually has that value, that's a, it's a different conversation, but, um, you know, um, there's a, I, I would say that there's a chance that Kevin gets traded at some point in the next few months, but, um, I wouldn't say it's an overwhelming chance for sure. Um, great. Well, Brian, last thing I wanted to finish, uh, with you on here. And again, very much appreciate the time, but, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, wherever Kyrie ends up, I'm all, I, I remain, I, I will always be a very, um, I don't know. Attached is not the right word. I just like sort of watching his career as he's gone on just because of all the time he spent in Cleveland. And he's also just such a, let's just use the word interesting uh, as a person. And, um, you know, wherever he ends up, whether it's Brooklyn, whether he finds himself in Los Angeles, whatever happens with free agency. You know, I was reading Zach Lowe had a, had a piece this morning um, just about, you know, what the Nets want to do and if they can't get this sort of tandem in Durant and Kyrie, or if they don't want to do that, should they keep D'Angelo Russell? What do you do with him? But there was a piece in there just about Kyrie and sort of just his presence in locker rooms. And it's just really amazing to me. Um, you know, obviously there was the end of his tenure with the Cavs, which was pretty rocky. And then obviously his time in Boston, especially this past season, um, you just read about and stuff is coming out just about his, he just sort of is like a, a, a meteor going through a locker room from time to time. And um, is, is it a legitimate concern from teams? Like I think uh, Zach mentions in his piece that the Nets do have some wariness of just putting him into this culture that they've sort of quote unquote built built there which you know stuff like that can get overblown but um it is he somebody that teams look at and are legitimately wary of like we know how talented this kid is but man his personality is just not something we want to risk like has he gotten to that level of concern from teams there may be some teams that feel that way but if he was available um out there for anybody to get i would say the overwhelming majority of teams would want him you know he's he's a incredible talent and um every single star player comes with certain downsides. Some come with a lot less than others. Um, but uh, every single player comes with downsides. Uh, you know, the thing about Kyrie, he's, his, his tenure in Cleveland, there's kind of two ways to look at it. You know, on one hand, they got a championship. And this is what I've been telling everybody I know or talk to from Toronto is to, is to enjoy this so much because this is such a special moment. Not, all championships are incredible, but, um, the unexpected ones, which, you know, they, they were expected once they got up 3-1, I realized. But um, the uh, the unexpected ones, you know, you didn't see the Raptors as being likely to win this championship, you know, right. two months ago. Yep. I mean, they were, they, had, they were in the game, and that's what happened. But um, it's just so enjoyable. And so for Kyrie to have been a major part of delivering that to Cleveland is so incredibly special. Um, I, uh, you know, I think his number should be retired. 
Um, I know that's a controversial thing to say, but I mean, I don't, I think it's pretty simple. Yeah. Um, I, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I know yeah. a lot of people in Cleveland are weird about that, but I'm, yeah. I'm there but with whatever. you. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't feel like arguing about it, Yeah. but, um, you know, the other way you could look at it is this was just, it was missed opportunity mm-hmm. because the way I feel the Cavs could have won three straight titles. Um, they could have won in 2015. Okay. They had the injuries, um, 2016 they won and in 2017 they ran into one of the great teams of all time um they uh that 2017 warriors like i'm not going to get into an argument about whether they could beat the 98 bulls i really don't care i I just will say that they were one of the greatest teams of all time they went 16 and 1 in the uh in the postseason they had two mvps uh durant and uh curry who were in their prime um i'll I'll put up against anybody if it was a normal, quote unquote, normal year, if it was, you know, 2005, if it was um, 1989, if it was, you know, 1995, um, that Cavs win the title with that team. Um, you know, they went 12 and one through the East playoffs. So they very easily under different circumstances with Kyrie and LeBron could have won three straight titles, but they did win one. And you would you and I just feel like Kyrie and LeBron were really bonded. And maybe LeBron wouldn't have felt this way, but it seemed to me that LeBron had gotten to a point where he was comfortable with the concept of, you know, let, let me hold on to this reign and then slowly hand it over to you, Kyrie, over the next few years. At least he said that. I yeah. don't know if he actually would have followed through with it. Maybe he would have got wandering eyes and bolted to L.A. anyway. Uh, maybe Kyrie did the right thing. I just think that, it would, you know, um, it's complicated because, like I said, on one hand, you celebrate what he did. On the other hand, you say, well, that partnership could have done more. Um, yeah, and so. I was I was going to say too. You know, obviously things that happen in private are always you know different than kind of how players present themselves publicly. But I always, especially in 2016, and even a little bit in 2017, like in moments when it was just pure emotions and like they weren't aware of cameras around them, they didn't care. Like I was recently kind of rewatching because of you know the the three year anniversary of that 2016 championship, but like. Before LeBron gives his interview to Doris right after that game, he's he's hugging Kyrie for like 30 seconds and they're talking to each other and they're pounding each other on the chest. Now, obviously, they just won the championship, so there's a lot of emotions, but it, it was always so strange to me when it came out that Kyrie sort of didn't enjoy being underneath LeBron's shadow, didn't enjoy how LeBron always sort of referred to him as a kid and all this stuff. But like a lot of times publicly... It just, I never got that sense. He always looked so happy to be um, kind of with LeBron, and they always seemed like they were so connected on the court. So there was always that sort of, I don't know, disconnect between the the private stuff that kind of came out about how Kyrie felt behind the scenes and how it presented itself publicly. And it always bums me out when I rewatch scenes like that because it really did seem like they were... Um, I even remember the end of the 2017 finals. They're walking back to the locker room, and, and Kyrie kind of looks to LeBron and says, we'll be back. <laughs> and then he, and then he got traded that summer. And so it's, um, it's always just, uh, it, it makes me sad that it didn't, uh, that it kind of didn't continue. Yeah. I mean, there are people in the Cavs organization who have told me that Kyrie wanted to be traded after the championship year. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's a secret. No, um, I've, I've heard he, that before too. He didn't, obviously they, you know, they didn't trade him, whatever. I can't explain it. I mean, after, you know, Kyrie, um, you know, has famously talked about how he was angry when they won the championship because he was angry at the doubters or something like that. Like right. his, his father and sister came down and he like was angry at that, at, at, not at them, but angry about the moment. Like, 
I, I just I came to uh, an understanding a long time ago that I'm not going to understand Kyrie, mm-hmm. so therefore I'm not going to overreact to his his behaviors and some of the stuff that he says. Um, sometimes he he's you know if you if you actually watch an entire interview with him and not just a um, a uh, uh, you know a soundbite, he will start five or six different thought processes that you're, you're you're he's going somewhere and then he'll just completely change course in the middle of it and it turns into one long string of psychobabble and <laughs> yes, so yes. like i don't know whether he is like super deep or super shallow i can't tell um i've just decided that i'm not going to pay too much attention to it but that's something i can do if i'm his teammate or if i'm his coach um, it's not as simple as just being able to ignore that i, I i've just chosen to evaluate what Kyrie does in between the four lines and recognize that what he does outside of them is complicated. Um, but that talent that he has in between those four lines is championship talent. Um, and teams across the league certainly recognize that you can't just find those guys walking around on the street. So I think that he will remain in high demand, um, because of that talent. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, um, I, I was visiting a friend in, in, uh, in Miami towards the end of the season. I hadn't seen Kyrie play in person in a long time, and the Celtics happened to be in town playing Miami. It was right towards the end of the uh, – it was one of their last home games, and uh, Kyrie had a great game, and I was – we went, and I just – you just forget sometimes how mesmerizing it is watching him, so uh, I very much get that. Um, well, Brian, thank you again. Are you uh, – so for free agency, will you just, like, be in L.A.? Are you going to be hunkered down somewhere? Like, how, how do you prepare for, for what's the, the – storm that's about to be free agency yeah the difficulty i'll be in la just because that's where our, our hub of our nba coverage is our shows are out of there and everything the difficult situation here is um timing is so important some free agents are not going to wait for the stars they are just going to go right away yeah and some teams are not going to wait so i still i think we'll see a huge volume of signings within the first 24 hours but we may not see the big ones for some time. And so that's what the thing is going to be. The, the challenge for somebody in my job is we do hear pieces of information. And some of them turn out to be 100% on the money. And, uh, <clears throat> but the real challenge is how do you determine what is real and what's not? Right. And there's a lot of stuff that's not real. And, um, and so you just have to be really careful. Because fans really, really want the latest information, and sometimes you just can't give it because the, it's it's all fragmented. So it's 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 a challenge to be sure. Well, yeah. If you don't want to reveal now that um, Kevin Durant will be signing with the Cavs, I get that. So you know you can hold that close to the vest and, uh, for the minimum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really amazing. He's kind of given them a great discount deal. So, uh, well, Brian, thanks again, man. Um, we will talk again soon, and uh, yeah, uh, get through this free agency uh, unscathed, and then uh, hopefully you can uh, have a little bit of downtime. All right. Thanks, George. Take care. Thanks, Brian.